I, I know you, you, most of you know, but uh, Connor and Julia took over our youth uh, sometime back. I don't know exactly when it was, but they had taken over. I think they had like two kids, uh, I believe, Lily, Lily and Jeremiah. Maybe there was a couple others that kind of came and gone, but uh, now they are averaging like 15 kids or something, and and this is the kind of thing that they're they're doing. Uh, Rachel uh, is back here as well, and and she's all part of that. And and it's just really cool to me to see these young people just really connecting with other young people and discipling them. And and by the way, another thing I'm super excited about is we just moved into our reap uh, part of our overall year um, uh, series and. Uh, just since we've moved into the REAP, we, this is our fourth baptism. That's pretty exciting. I mean, it's only been a few weeks, and, uh, and I just think that that's really awesome that uh, God has just really blessed us. Um, we, we had wanted to focus on, you know, each of these stages uh, from the very beginning of the year, and, and here it is, you know, just so happens to be that we're really focusing on how to put all of this together for his glory and trying to figure out how to bring fruit about in this church. And, and this is what's happening. And, and we know it's all him, right? It's just, this is our intention. This is our desire, but it's all him working in the midst of it. And that's just really cool. So I was in uh, Ace Hardware the other day and I was checking out and this young man, he, uh, I, I go up to the counter. First thing that comes out of his mouth is he says, um, uh, so is that all, how do you say it? Is that all you need, boss? And I'm just like, boss, I haven't heard that term in a while. You know, I've heard it before. I just haven't heard it in a while. And in the midst of that exchange, he also says uh, something like, um, well, something about, uh, uh, there you go, partner. You know, I haven't heard that term. And what was really kind of caught me off guard is that this kid is like 21, 25. (laughs) He's using these terms, you know, boss and partner and stuff like that. And so I just thought, man, he's kind of grew up old-fashioned, right, uh, for him to throw these terms around. And there's an old term I want to kind of uh, highlight today as we go through God's Word, and that is much obliged. How many of you heard that? I heard that when I was a kid, you know. Uh, if, you watch, if you watch Lone Ranger, you will hear this a lot, right? Because the Lone Ranger, in fact, I looked it up just a couple days ago. But anytime he's like rescues somebody, the episode I was watching was a stagecoach uh, where he, you know, rescues the stagecoach. And, and uh, the stagecoach driver says, much obliged, you know. And another one was when there was a bank robber and uh, he says the same thing. But uh, that's thrown around a lot. But I remember hearing it with the old timers when I was a kid that they would say that a lot. We don't use that term much anymore. But I thought it's a perfect term as we are, you know, approaching Thanksgiving, and we've been looking at being thankful the last couple of weeks. And, and when we really think about that, it's a, it's a perfect term for just how we ought to feel uh, towards God. We should feel much obliged. I like it better, I think, than the way we throw around thank you even. Because sometimes thank you can be almost a little bit empty uh, in our, you know, expression. You know, thank you, but, you know, not, I don't know. But, but the thing is, is what, is it, what does it mean to feel much obliged? It almost feels like that you are, um, 
you have been giving me such a great favor, I want to be able to do something in return. I'm obliged or obligated, uh, is where the term comes from, to do something in return. And how much should we feel obliged to God, right? Uh, Obligated even to respond in some way, in some kind, uh, to what he has done. We have so many blessings. It's so easy for us to uh, not see them all, but the ones that we are aware of, the ones that we can uh, quickly um, think of, should just overwhelm us with this this desire to feel much obliged. So I want us to, what I thought I would do is, we, we're in the book of Acts, right? Um, and we're trying to put Acts in, act, in action, right? Um, and I thought we would just look at a few stories and see if we couldn't find this some places that express this much obliged concept. So the first one that I wanted to point out is this Acts 3. I want you to look at this story with me. Acts 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple an hour at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, isn't that a, an awesome, wonderful story? Uh, this, this man who was blind, who needed just the, the pity or the compassion of others to be able to just function, just be able to survive in his world. How obligated, how obliged right? Do you think that he felt towards Peter and John after this day? You know, he looked at Peter and John with those sad puppy eyes, right? I mean, it says that he gazed, that Peter gazed upon him, and it just evidently melted Peter's heart because he wanted to do something. He wanted to respond in some way, but he didn't have any silver or gold to give. You know, this, this man, he would have been used to uh, people giving to him just because of his need. Uh, people would have had a hard time walking by and not showing some kind of pity or some kind of compassion. You probably have felt this at moments, you know, in, in, in your life as well. And I'm sure that most people would have dropped in a coin or two here just to 
you know, uh, give to him. I'm sure that he even has some stories of large amounts, you know, like, man, today I really, you know, uh, raked it in, so to speak. But nowhere ever has this man ever been touched by the power of God. In fact, I don't know, I just picture like, you know, Peter saying these words to this man, like, silver or gold, I have none, but what I do have, I will give to you. And he begins to speak in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And I bet the first thing in that man's mind is, well, thanks for nothing, right? Or, oh boy, this is one of those crazy guys that's going to try to give me something other than what I'm really after, and that is something to live on. Um, But I wonder what the moment was Uh, that he just felt the healing come upon him. Verse 8 says that he went to church walking and leaping and praising God. And I just want you to think, do do you think he would have remembered like this? Like, would this have been a significant event in his life that he would have always carried this with him no matter what? Like, when he saw Peter and John coming, do you think that he just went on with his day or you know, even went the other way? Or do you think that he would have went out of his way to make sure he expressed once again how much he is much obliged? And I I have no doubt that he would have done that. He would have wanted to do anything that he could for these men that gave him that day, not silver or gold, but the healing that he could get up and walk. I think I said he was blind earlier, but you know what I mean. I just think of that, and then I think of this. How much has God given us? We didn't come in here maybe with a physical ailment, but all of us come in here with the realization that at some point in time, God has done what he did to Kaylee right there, and he has given us a spiritual healing. He has given us eternal life. He has given us forgiveness of our sins. And how much more so? It just makes you think of the times when Jesus would heal people like the paralytic, and he would, he would start by saying, your sins are forgiven. And, and the reason he started there is because that's the biggest and best thing that he could give any and every one of us, right? But so that they would believe that he had the power to give them this, phys- this spiritual healing, he gives them a, a physical healing, which is less than on the totem pole of Jesus, what Jesus is able to do. But each and every one of us has been given this spiritual healing. How obliged should we feel when we come in here? And so I ask you, when you came in this morning, do you feel much obliged for the spiritual healing? Does it cause you to enter his courts, as it says in Psalms, enter his courts with thanksgiving and with praise? This guy was leaping and and singing praises in church, and how much more so should we be leaping and singing praises in church? 1 Peter 2, 24, it says this. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. So that's what Jesus did for us, right? That's That's the healing that we had. He has bore our sins on the tree. What's the obliged part of it? It's the very next phrase. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's just, what would I 
how could I not try to please God with my life now that he has done what he has done for me? He's taking care of something I could not ever take care of myself. And so I feel much obliged to die to sin and live to righteousness. And, and he says this, by his wounds you have been healed. That is the price that he paid. By his wounds he give us healing. And it's just a scripture, and there's so many of these, that just points out how we should feel much obliged to our creator God. And I do feel that. Acts chapter 5, let's look at another story. Acts 5, starting with verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived, contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. In other words, all, all Peter is trying to po- point out to him is that nobody's forcing you to do this. You know, it was your own when, before you sold it. And even after you sold it, the money was your own. And yet you bring us half and say you're giving us all. And, and what was really the thing that I tried to help us understand it, the thing he was trying to do is he was trying to swindle the Holy Spirit is the problem here. And it says, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and the young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After a tr- trivial interval, sorry, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. And so they've already buried this man and it hasn't even been three hours, right? And his wife comes in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. In other words, what your husband said you sold it for. And she says, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of God? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at the feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and they found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, I wanted to stop by here as we're walking through, just looking at scriptures and stories and acts about how we should feel much obliged. And you're like, I'm not understanding the connection here, Mike. Well, the connection is just this. Choosing not to feel much obliged for all that God has given us has some risk involved. Like there's some major danger uh, that is associated with having this attitude that uh, I don't really feel that obliged to God. I just, I just feel like that he kind of owes me. It's real easy. I'm just, what I'm saying is, is that if, if we're not careful... And we don't have this desire or this feeling to come into 
his house and feel much obliged, it's real easy to flip this thing over on its ear. And for us to come in with a whole other different type of uh, spirit that is almost like the opposite, like, you know, like God owes us instead of we owing God. Like, like this, this, this uh, attitude that, um, well, I have given plenty to the church. Let the church give back, you know, or something like, of that sort. It's just, it's just a danger I want us to, to recognize here for a moment. And so to, to, to just help us quickly go through this, I just want you to see it in three different phases. Okay, the first one is, is that we have to be careful because if we don't feel much obliged, then probably uh, one of the things that could creep into our lives is pride. And here's what I mean by that. Pride is that attitude that uh, nobody ever gave me anything. I worked hard for everything I have. And it's real easy to get into this, you know, this attitude with God. You know, I lift myself up from the bootstraps, you know, so to speak. I am the one who worked hard to get through school. And so, therefore, I'm reaping what I have um, sowed. And it's just real easy. One place, let's try to make this as practical as possible. One place, I think, that this is... Um, that this is decided every week is when we come to the table. And have you noticed that when we come to the table that it's not just juice and bread that we are, are coming up here around? Have, have, have you noticed that the plate is still here? You know, we haven't, as a church, haven't passed the plate in so long. It's been a long time. Uh, I think, I guess it's been since we put the juice up here on the table, right? So before, or right when COVID was getting kicked off and we were getting back together, we decided to put the plate there. And, and the thing is, is that for many of us, we come up here, we see that plate, and we, we just see it as an opportunity to express our much obliged attitude. Like we're more than happy to be participants of giving back to the Lord's work, uh, to what the Lord is trying to do in and among us. It's an opportunity to just express that to God. It's not us paying back God. We could never pay back God if we tried. But rather, it's just recognizing that everything I have is because of him. And, And therefore, I just want to offer a token of appreciation. I want to just let him know that I am much obliged to him. Now, for some of us, it can be a glaring reminder, right, of just the opposite of that. It can be like just a, a constant reminder, they're just wanting something from me. Or, um, or just this attitude like, um, uh, I don't feel obliged to give anything to that. Or I feel obliged to to give half of what I think that the Lord wants or whatever it would be. But it is definitely, that's the whole point of the offering is just to express ourselves to this God who has given us so much. So let me read a couple verses. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, it says, But as you excel in everything, and Paul is just, he's encouraging the church 
to just grow and mature and to abound in, in every aspect of our relationship with him. And so he says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in, the, in this act of grace also. Now, what act of grace do you think he's talking about? Well, if you go read that scripture, you will find out real quick he's talking about giving like materially giving money uh, into the ministry. And so he's also, he's just saying that as you excel in all of these aspects of being a follower of Jesus, make sure that you don't leave this one out. Because this is an expression of just your, your attitude. And listen to verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of of others that your love also is genuine. Offering is just an opportunity to show that our love is genuine. Our love to God is genuine, right? That I'm truly much obliged, God, to everything I have and everything that I know that you have blessed me with. In chapter 9, just a few chapters away, there's the heading of 9, it says, The Collection for Christians in Jerusalem. So he's talking about just taking up offerings. And this is what he says down in verse 6 of that. He says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. So a few things just to make it clear here. This isn't me trying to push you to give if you are reluctant to give. This is just me reminding you that every week we have an opportunity to just show God how much we are obliged to him. It's just an expression. And, and this is all about what God sees, and God sees the heart, right? And he rewards that heart. And so that's what he, Paul is talking about. Those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. Those who sow generously will reap generously. And then he goes into, not, not with a reluctant or a compulsive heart, but God loves a cheerful giver. He loves to see his children recognize his blessings to them and them just expressing that back to him. And so we have this opportunity. Here's an, so that's one danger. And obviously, you know, Ananias and Sapphira didn't get it, did they? I mean, they didn't get this as an opportunity to just show our much obliged attitude. Here's another thing you have to be careful about that will try to rob you of your thankfulness. And that is a, a critical spirit. And, and just meaning complaining. You know, we have to be careful. Now, Ananias Fire didn't get much opportunity to complain. But I bet you they were kind of complainers. Oh, they just want too much. Oh, they're just trying to steal stuff. Oh, they're just, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's a, a lady known as the incurable grumbler. She was constantly complaining about everything. And, and her, la, her preacher 
finally saw an opportunity that she probably wouldn't be able to complain. And so he was super excited about talking to her. And, and as the days went by, he finally saw Mary. And, and the reason that he didn't think she would be able to complain about this is because from, from as far as he knows, she had like the best potato crop of any farmer around, right? And so when he saw her, he's just like, Mary, your potatoes are amazing. They're better. They're, everybody's talking about they're better than everybody else's. And this was her response. She says, well, uh, true, they're pretty good, but what am I going to do when I need bad ones to feed the pigs? <laughs> they, they didn't get a chance to grumble. And we just have to be careful that we don't take the chance or the opportunity to grumble ourselves because it really steals away this this feeling of being much obliged to our God. Here's the third thing that you just have to be careful with, and I called it disregard. Disregard or or maybe just um, taking things for granted, uh, carelessness would be maybe a word, but it's just this attitude that that we, there's so many blessings around us and we begin to not even recognize them. Lori was telling me that we missed the eclipse, you know, like it happened the night before that she was aware that like at three in the morning there was um, the moon, you know, the, the eclipse. And, and, uh, and we were talking about that, but it got me thinking that the stars, sometimes they are just absolutely gorgeous. And if they only came out like once a month or once a year, I bet there would be most of us would go out and take advantage of just gazing at the stars. But because they are there all the time, we don't even recognize their beauty most of the time. We just don't even pause. We don't go out intentionally looking at them. We might just look up and say, oh, the stars are bright tonight or something. But we don't make it an intentional awareness appreciation. And that's just the way it is with most things in our lives, because God has blessed us with so many things that we just take advantage of. You know, the ability to walk, the ability to breathe, the ability to see, the ability to have a house with, you know, with warmth, the, the, you know, just all of these different things, components, and we just are oblivious of them because they're just always constant in our lives. And we just have to be careful not to be careless it wasn't just Ananias and Sapphira that God saw how careless they were and took their lives. It reminds me also of, in the Old Testament, the grumbling and complaining after God rescued millions of his people from Pharaoh's hands. And Moses led them out into the desert, and, and God was giving them, he was like dropping manna from heaven. It was raining bread, and quail was everywhere, and they had all their needs taken care of in the middle of nowhere. And I guess it was so constant and so easy to gather that they just didn't even see the blessing of God in their lives, and they just become grumblers and complainers. And the New Testament makes sure that it points out to us, don't be like them, because God did what? He did the same thing he did with Ananias Sapphira is what he did. And we just have to be careful to not be careless. Here's one last story I want us to look at as we're just making our journey through the Acts this morning, just looking at places that are teaching us how to be much obliged when we come into his presence. 
And this one's in Acts chapter 9. He realized I didn't get very far when I was just looking through Acts about, with this attitude. It says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and they had washed her. They laid her in the upper room. Since Lyd- Lydia, Lydda, was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to, to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went to them. And when he arrived, he took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all aside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa that many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simeon, a tanner. Is that not just the craziest, awesome, best story ever? And we don't have time to dive into all of it. Just want to point out a couple things. One is I just want you to make sure you see what kind of woman this Tabitha was. I wonder if they called her Tabby. But Tabby was an amazing person. She was always this charitable person, always making tunics, always making garments and giving it to others. These people were, and here's the second thing I want you to see, these people were much obliged to Tabby, weren't they? I mean, they, they thought Dorcas hung the moon because of how giving and loving she was. And so they were... She had died, and what did they do? They washed her body, and they laid her carefully in a room, in an upper room. Not like Ananias Fire, within three hours, they go bury the guy and then go bury his wife as soon as it happens. It's not that kind of care. They were caring for this lady. But they felt much obliged to do more than that. And here they are. They were just trying to figure out, how do we ever pay back this woman? For all that she did. And then somebody got the idea, Peter. Let's go get Peter. Now, I don't think that they were thinking resurrection. I don't know. I think they were surprised. I don't know if they just wanted to pay honor to her. You know, like, have a, let's have a special service for this woman or something. But they go get Peter. Peter comes. He gets, he, they're telling all the stories of gratitude that they feel for this woman, he moves the cloths and everything out of the way, and he raises this woman back from the dead. All because of how much obliged they felt in their heart for this woman. And here's what I know about feeling much obliged. Much obliged is always seen in action. It's never just in words. It is part of words. It starts with words, but it always leads to doing something. Like, I got to do something. I got to express this. You know, if, if we had time, we would read another story, and that is in Luke 17. But it's a story you already know well. It's usually always preached during Thanksgiving, right? And that is the, the ten lepers. They meet Jesus on the road. Jesus has compassion for them. Jesus heals 
them. Actually, he says, go show yourself to the priests. And as they're on their way, is what it says, the scripture says they're on their way, they are healed. And all of a sudden they have this healing, and one of them stops in his tracks and does what? He goes back to Jesus and thanks Jesus. And what surprises Jesus is that only one comes back. He says, weren't there, weren't there nine others? Where are they? And he, and he even says, you know, how come, he says, was, was, not, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Because he was a Samaritan. And Jesus just seems to be stunned that there's so, such a lack of this desire, this feeling of, of obligedness, <laughs> of feeling much obliged, right? That's just a crazy thing, and it, it would be a crazy thing for us to, to do that as well, for us not to count our many blessings, naming them one by one, for us not to just recognize today of all days, at least this day, to recognize how much obliged that we should feel. The story in Acts 9 that, that talks about Tabitha, it's, it's a story that recognizes that this woman gave and they wanted to honor her. And that's what it does, is when you feel much obliged, you, you want to give the t- a testimony of the one that you feel much obliged to. How much more has Jesus done for us than Tabitha ever done? And yet she was a good woman. But how much more has Jesus done for us? How much more should we just pause and think about, you know, what we want to give back? And when we give back from the heart, it is expressed outwardly. It is expressed here, like in giving. It's expressed how we greet one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. It's it's expressed in what we do. I mean, as we were highlighting, you know, Rachel and Connor and Julia and just how they have come about uh, working with the youth, that is them just expressing their their gratefulness to their God, their creator, right? And so when we're working in the church, it's just an action that's just part of feeling much obliged. God appreciates our thanksgiving, but more than anything, he appreciates the fact that we're highlighting him. We're giving testimony to him. You know, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul tells us, be careful because if you're not careful about this feeling of feeling much obliged, you can end up having an opposite feeling. And this is what he says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, the passage implies that we ought to be people who are grateful. And we ought to be people who are thankful. And in a, every day we should feel this way. But today, I just want to highlight that today we should be entering his courts with thanksgiving on our hearts and just recognize all that he's given to us.
Well, I'm going to pray, and then MR is going to come, and he's going to lead us into our table time and just an opportunity to receive what, what that scripture says, that he bore our sins on a tree. And there's this obligation that we should feel that we, we no longer sinned, but we live for righteousness, that there should just be this action about us. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. God, we thank you for the reminder. And Father, may our, our heart, may our thoughts, may our actions indicate how obliged we are to you. You have rescued us. You have saved us. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.